0: Well, thank you, Aja, for, for that lovely prayer. Um, I'm, I'm always humbled just at the opportunity just to speak God's Word. It's, a, it's an amazing privilege uh, to <coughs> preach on any occasion, um, whether it is uh, part of this series that we're doing uh, on the 42 Days of Purpose, what on earth am I here for? Or whether it is any other message that I've had the opportunity to, to preach. It is amazingly humbling to be able to do that. So we're now three weeks into this this series on what on earth am I here for? Uh, we started out two weeks ago looking at the fact that we have a purpose in life, and that we are called by God. And last week we introduced the first of five purposes. Uh, that purpose being that we are called to be loved by God, and we are called to love God. Today so we're looking at how we're called to be part of God's family. This family is known as, as the church, and we'll get into that in a little bit. We're we'll called to be connected to his people. And just when we were kind of preparing uh, the different messages, um, who was going to speak when, uh, Mike asked me, is there any particular message you'd like to, to preach? So I had a look, look through the notes, and this was, the, this was one of the ones that stood out to me. Because uh, this kind of theme of, being part of the church, being part of God's people, is something that is very, very, I'm very passionate about it. Um, I grew up in a a family where I grew up going to church, being taken along to Sunday school and to youth, as I've mentioned before. Uh, But come the age of 14, uh, my younger brother was given the chance to uh, make his own decisions as to whether he wanted to, to continue going to church or not. He chose not to. My older brother now is no longer going to church either. So out of the three sons that my mom and dad had, I'm the only one left who's going to church on a Sunday. And when I look at, in retrospect, what really made the decision for my brother, I think it's two things. One, he didn't really have a a real connection to God. Um, I I say that in love, and we've talked about this, so he knows exactly my, my view on that. But also the other side is he didn't really have a good friendship group within the church, which is a key part of this kind of message tonight that we are all in this together. We're all part of the church, we're part of God's body. So this is really one of the, kind of the areas I'm passionate about. It's one of the things I'm most passionate about in doing work with kids and young people, seeing them actually get connected to people in the church because it's one of the things that makes you stay in church. There's been research done just as recently as a few, few months ago by Life Will Research which says that most kids who, uh, who go into their young adulthood and stay in church have two things in common. Firstly, they actually have a connection to Jesus Christ. And thirdly, they have a connection to God's people. Whether that is through friendship groups or whether that is through serving in church, they have a connection to God's people. So this is a really big subject to me personally and it's something that I really love the opportunity to be able to speak on. Now, we'll go into this a, a bit later on, but I wanted to kind of start out with the uh, for the memory verse for tonight. Um, the memory verse for tonight is from Hebrews 2.10, and it is found in your notes, and it's on the on the very back sheet. So, before we'll try, we'll do this as we've normally been doing. We'll say the verse at the beginning and the end, and then we'll read the verse and then we'll do that a few times and then we'll continue to try and memorize this throughout the the small groups that we have this week. So the memory verse this week is Hebrews 2, verse 10. So if we, we do it as we've mentioned before, so Hebrews 2, verse 10. God is the one who made all things and all things are for his glory. He wanted to have many children share his glory. Hebrews 2 verse 10. Hebrews 2 verse 10. God is the one who made all things, and all things are for His glory. He wanted to have many children share His glory. Hebrews 2 verse 10. Hebrews 2 verse 10. God is the one who made all things, and all things are for His glory. He wanted to have many children share his glory. Hebrews 2, verse 10. Great. So the challenges for this week is trying to memorize this, this verse. Uh, what are the, one of my favorite messages I've ever heard was by a guy called John Piper. And the entire theme of his message was how to memorize scripture. And he started by reading a portion of Matthew's gospel from memory. and read a whole chapter. That, to me, is kind of like, that's kind of where I would like to eventually get to when it comes to memorizing scripture. It's a bit of a challenge, but that is, but it's so important just to remember the words of God and be able to recite them off the top of our head. Now, that doesn't mean you have to remember, like, whole chapters and stuff like that, but being able to do things like, quote, Hebrews 2, verse 10 here, or well, well-known ones like John three sixteen, for God's so love loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The power that God has to be able to speak to us through using scripture and reciting it is amazing. So let me just kind of encourage us to continue to do that. So I'm just going to go through this. So we're going to be going through um, basically what we've gone through for the first couple of weeks. We're Just going to do a bit of catch up. So... We're called by God for five purposes. And this week we're doing the second of five. We started out with we are called to be loved, which we've already mentioned. And we are called to belong. And that's what we're looking at tonight. And I've just kind of came across a nice quote by a guy who I listen to a lot and read a lot. A guy called Tim Keller. Uh, some people may be familiar with, with him. Uh, but he had this, this to say about kind of the connection that we have with each other. Where it says, spiritual friendship is eagerly helping one another know, serve, love, and resemble God in deeper and deeper ways. And that's really the the key difference with friendships outside of of the church and friendships in the church. All of our friendships together should be for the, the, the one unique purpose of pushing us closer and closer towards Jesus Christ. That's really what it boils down to. So we're going to have a look at this and it says we are called to belong. Now in, in your notes, it, it mentions, it says the, the second person in my life is that. Now we'll come into that in a second because we actually have that written in our notes elsewhere. But just to start off with that we are called to belong. We've gone through that verse already, which is God is the one who made all things and all things are for his glory. He wanted to have many children share his glory So he made the one who leads people to salvation perfect through suffering. That's the bit that we didn't get in the memory verse. That little end bit. Which is such an important bit to know that. He made the one who leads people to salvation perfect through suffering. That in reference to Jesus Christ. So God God formed me for his family. That's the bit that we want you to write in, if you can, in the second person of my life is that. God formed me for his family. And Ephesians 1, verses 4 to 6, has this to say. It says, In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his will. I don't know how often the thought crops into your head, but it's, a, it's amazing when you think about it, when you read through Scripture, when you read through things like Psalm 139 and other portions of Scripture that God intended us to be here before we were, we were born. Centuries, millenniums before we were even born, God knew that tonight each and every one of us would be in this room. And that each and every one of us in here who knows Jesus Christ would be known by God and would be walking with him. He had this planned all along. And that is just an amazing thought to to think about. So before the creation of the world, God chose us to be his own. And for us to become his own through Jesus Christ. That is the, the tool, that is the gateway for us to have this relationship with God and to become part of this family that we're going to be looking at throughout the course of this message. And God calls to be part of this family, which is his church, and we'll look at that in a little bit, in a bit more detail. But I want to take a quick sidebar and kind of have a look at kind of why God has, where this door is open to us. And I want to take us to a section of the Bible that is probably familiar with with us and this little bit is in the next <coughs> bullet point down and this is a bit of that I've added through, through study and this is um, about seeing God as the creator. Um, he has ownership rights over us if we believe in him. If you think about it in the sense of say like Bill, Bill Gates who created Microsoft, he has ownership rights over Microsoft. He can choose to do with, with that whatever he, whatever he wishes. God's the same, it's the same God for us as well. And the question is, why is that? Well, in 1 Corinthians 6 19 to 20, we see this. You are no longer your own. God paid a great price for you. That price is Jesus' life on the cross. That is the price that he's referring to. Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago and died on the cross for each. And every one of us in this room. And this is the price he's referring to. So on that section on his second note down, the bit there is we are bought with a price. We're bought with a price. And God calls us because of this ownership to be part of his family <coughs> because he loves us dearly. He loves each and every one of us as his children. Now, I I don't know if you had ever seen the movie Toy Story. It's uh, quite a number of years old now. It was was released before I was was 10 years old, before that. So it's it's like early, mid-90s that it came out. But it was actually actually one of my favourite movies growing up as as a child. And there's a scene in the movie after basically a lot has happened and Buzz Lightyear, who is this toy that is owned by by Andy, who is kidnapped with, his, with another toy called Woody. And they're in this house, and Buzz Lightyear's got this rocket strapped to his back. Now, it's been a long time since I've watched the movie, but if I remember it correctly, the idea was that um, Sid, who had kidnapped him, was going to basically make Buzz fly, and use this rocket that he strapped to his back to do it. And in this scene, you get Buzz and Woody in Sid's bedroom. Buzz is down in the dumps because he's actually early on trying to fly. He's a, he's a space toy, and he basically thinks he can actually fly. And he jumps off a ledge and falls, basically, in the movie. So Buzz is absolutely gutted that he can't, can't fly. And Woody turns around to him and goes, that, you're, the fact that you can't fly, that isn't what makes you special. That doesn't, make, doesn't determine your value. What does... Determine your value is the name that is written on your foot. And the name that is written on Buzz's foot is the name Andy. The name of his owner. And if you've, if you've seen the movie, you'll, you'll know that Buzz looks at his foot. After Woody's turned around and basically said, you know, Buzz, you're a much cooler toy than I am. You, know, you should get out of here while you've still got the chance. Buzz looks at his foot and actually start, gets a new determination. And following on from that, Buzz and Woody escape and eventually get back to, to Andy. And I was just thinking of that. That is a really good kind of illustration as to how, in a sense, God is, thinks about us. The Bible talks about our names being written in his book of life and our names being written on the palms of his hands. That verse, that verse is going to be coming later in the, in the message, but that was, just remember that just looking through this message and just thinking about that and that illustration from that movie came came to mind our names are written on God's palms on on his hands God's family is called his church the church is is more than a building it's more than a, a weekly event or numerous weekly events it's the people it's the people who have given their lives to Christ, all living together, growing in a relationship with God. And the invite is open to everybody to be part of this family. It's an open invitational. It's for you, it's for me, and it's for everybody in between. And we see in 1 Timothy 3.14-15 the following verse, which says this, I am writing all this to you, hoping I can come to you before too long. But in case I am delayed, you will know how one ought to behave as a member of God's family. The assembly of the living God, the pillar and foundation that support the truth. And one of the things that we want to have a think about is kind of how the, the church behaves, how we are meant to live together as, a, as, a fa- as this family. Sometimes families have Disagreements. Sometimes families uh, don't, don't get along or don't see eye to eye. Sometimes that happens in the church. The amount of times I've heard over the years about different views on, say, stuff like, like end, end times or stuff to do with your Old Testament, like what's, what's literal, what's, what's figurative. You could go on for hours on these debates. But understanding how we are to behave as a church is key and understanding that we as a family are root, meant to be rooted in Jesus Christ. It's key, and the church is the pillar and foundation of truth that God has chosen to build his mission on. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? That God has chosen us to be what he uses to see his mission fulfilled. Going, that's going way back even to the, the apostles in the first century, where he told them to go out into all the world raising disciples up and saying, people come to know God. It's amazing to know that we're part of that, part of that amazing history. And say so we're called to belong to this church. God has called us to belong to this group of people, to be among his people. And Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people and also members of his household. Now, in context, this is a huge thing because th- this is Paul saying, this is what Jesus says, to a group of people who weren't Jews. <coughs> now, none of us in here are, are Jewish from I, I, I'd imagine, um, so this is, this is us as well. And just knowing that Jesus Christ, who was a Jew, who came for the salvation of everybody, decided to open up the, the parameters for who... Could become followers of, of the one true God, as Israel would call it. That is an amazing to know that. That includes each and every one of us. Romans one verse six also tells us a bit more about this and says, "Also, you are among the, those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ." This follows up on this whole thought of being bought with a price. This. It was a deliberate decision by God. So before we were even here, God had called us to be part of his people, to be part of the church. The word we use as church today in the original Greek is the word ecclesia. And one of the ways to translate that is called out once. So there's an element of saying that God is calling us to be part of something bigger. So we've kind of had a look there, basically introducing what the, what the church is in some, some details that we are called to belong to it and that God has chosen us from the very beginning to be part of this. Let's have a look at some of the benefits of belonging. In the Bible, we, we see five, five different metaphors for, for the church, for God's people. And this is kind of what we're looking at in terms of the benefits of belonging. <coughs> so we're going to start out by looking at a family. It's one of, the, one, of the, one of the things that the Bible tells us that the church is. It is a family. Now, if you think about it, identity, it can come in from many different things. It can come from the place that, that we work, for example. In following up on that as an example, I'm for where this is a bit of a prop tonight, but this is actually what I have to wear for work. Whenever I go into another one of the project, housing projects for the company I work for, or if I go and meet a, another client outside or <coughs> do some training, I have to go and wear this little name tag, which tells you that I work for Oasis Color Housing and I'm Data Coordinator. So that tells you kind of who I am and what I do. So a lot of workplaces have that kind of thing, but sometimes we can be identified by where we work. We're going to find our identity in groups that we're part of. Another example of this, just kind of going to personal examples, was many years ago I was part of Southern Youth Parliament. So if I was to talk to different, different people from within the council, that maybe and some of them knew me, but had never met me, but they knew me because I was part of this group. So sometimes our identity can come from the groups that we're part, part of. And we could go on, to say there's many different areas where we kind of see our identity come from in some regard. But the ones that we tend to really notice is the ones that come from relationships. One of the biggest ones is, is again, family. For example, I'm, I'm a Jones. I was born to... Stephen and Deborah Jones um, in New Silksworth in 1988. That's kind of where I am, and that's a big part of of my identity, my family. You'll find that on my birth certificate, information on my birth certificate. And because I'm I'm single, and not married yet. You'll find that if you ever see any paperwork for, for me in any organisation I've worked for, the emergency contact is always always my mother. So. And through being my, their son, I've inherited personality traits from my parents. I've inherited, I look like my parents, I act like my parents to some degree. But those things together come together and make a unique personality. If I, I'm not completely like my father, I'm not completely like my mother. But I'm like both of them. And they make, help to make a unique person. Likewise, with, with God, we are made in his image. And therefore, we have inherited certain aspects of God's personality, and we look like God. Genesis 1, 20, 27 kind of confirms this. This is not going to appear on the side, but have a look at the account of, of Genesis 1, where it says, you know, in the beginning, God created a male and female. We are created in God's image, and therefore we inherit aspects of God's character. Those aspects of God's character could be things such as as loving peace and justice and kindness, goodness and so on. There are so many qualities of God that we can inherit. And God loves these things and it's the source of where these things come from. But when we look at this whole thought of being a family, the question becomes, well, what if we we haven't come from a stable family? Sometimes that, that is the case. And you know the question then, because, well, does this metaphor break down if we've, if we've had a difficult family background? The answer to that is is absolutely not. The, the reason for that is because in, God, in this metaphor being a family, it is about how family was originally created to be by God. And that is a perfect union of people where everybody is loved, everybody is valued and everybody is welcomed the fact that's that we live in a broken world where we can see these things come about see broken families happen that isn't God's original design It's not God's intention and that is why this metaphor does not break down this family is a is a permanent thing it's something that will last forever and this family is called by God to do what he does. Focus on our, to focus on our spiritual identity rather than our physical identity. I mentioned before in basic detail about me being, being a Jones and that being a key part of my identity. But my identity is so much more than that. And it's the same for each and every one of us. We are so much more than our, our parents, parents' children we are children of God if we have accepted Jesus Christ. We are made in his image. We are loved by the king of kings. So as I said, that goes for those of us who are here, that are believers. If there's any of us here who aren't, who aren't believers yet and are, or aren't sure where we're at, the invitation to be that is open to each and every one of us because God wants us to be that. Now Hebrews 2 verse 11 has this to say, Jesus and the people he makes whole all belong to the same family. That is why he isn't ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. Now, just, just take that for one second and just have a, have a think about that. Because that last little line is, is amazing. And something that sometimes I personally don't necessarily take enough stock of. The fact that Jesus Christ, like God, is not ashamed to call me his brother. In fact, he's, he's not ashamed to call any of us his brother or sister. That is an amazing thing to be part of. The next metaphor is a temple. Now, a temp- temple is something that we, we know of Test- we know from the Old Testament. In Ephesians 2: 21 to 22, we read this: "In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. To give give a bit of context on this statement, Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus weren't strange to temples either. So I did a bit of research to kind of look into it, and one of the most notable temples in the ancient world was found in Ephesus. It was a temple dedicated to, to the Greek goddess Artemis. That's what we see in, in, hist- in history. It, had been, it was rebuilt a grand total of three times before finally being destroyed in 401 AD. At the time Paul wrote this, this temple had been destroyed and had been rebuilt and currently was still standing, as it wasn't destroyed for the second time until 256 AD. It was well known in the ancient world and is actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world according to, according to history. So these people knew exactly what Paul was talking about when he said, You know, you as God's people are to become a holy temple. They knew exactly kind of the picture that Paul was thinking of. See, temples in the ancient world were a place for reverent worship, somewhere you went to to give your best worship to your, cho- your chosen God. Now, Obviously, in terms of what we we believe as Christians, we believe in in one true God. The ancient world had many false gods that they they worshipped and they did idolatry for. So they had had temples for these these fake gods. But temples are are more than buildings. You, you, we may do things in them that classify as worship, but like all buildings, they can collapse if the foundation isn't secure. And the question for us is, as the church, what is the foundation? What is the foundation? We find that, act, that answer actually in response to a question that Jesus asked Peter. We find it in the Gospel of, of Matthew and it's taken from the scene where Jesus turns to his disciples and asks them two questions. Number one who do people say that I am? And number two, who do you say that I am? Peter, ever the one to kind of really like be bold and kind of step up, uh, apart from that, that, that one occasion that we read about in the Gospels, Peter turns around and says to Jesus, you are the Christ. And Jesus responds to Peter and includes these famous words in Matthew 16, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It's often debated what the rock is. Some people say it's Peter. Some people say it's, it's not and say it's the revelation of Jesus Christ being the Messiah. I personally stand on, the, on, this, on that latter side and I, and I think it's a, it's a misinterpretation of, of what Jesus is saying. Because when we look at it, what Jesus do, seems to do there is change Peter's name from Simon to Peter in the same way he did with Abraham. I don't know if you've ever really kind of ever seen that kind of link there but God has a habit of changing people's names to fit the mission that he's linked them to. Abraham's name was changed from Abram to represent him being a father of many nations. Simon's name was changed to Peter to represent him being part of this mission that God had to establish the church and it was this revelation that came out of the mouth of Peter that God decides to use and go, this is, this is kind of the starting block for building the church. The fact that you have admitted that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the Lord. In God's, God's temple that we, we see that the foundation of his family, the church, is Jesus Christ. And the announcement that he is king. The third metaphor is a body, and this is one that we will all be massively familiar with. (coughs) We all will know probably at least portions of 1 Corinthians 12, which we're going to actually pull up in a second, more or less off by heart. We'll also probably know portions of Romans 12 as well, two of the biggest known sections of Scripture that talk about the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, we, we see this. You are the body of the Anointed One, referring to Jesus Christ. And each of you is a unique and vital part of it. Now, I like that, that way that, that Bible phrase, that translation, saying that we are a unique and vital part of the body. In Christ's body, we find out what our role is, and we find out what we are meant to do as part of the church. Like a body, we have, the church has many parts we see this again in Romans 12 verses 4 to 5 which will be coming up as well it says this, a body is made up of many parts and each of them has its own use that's how it is with us there are many of us but we each are part of the body of Christ as well as part of one another originally in the North Rick Warren so this kind of reveals five truths I think it actually reveals six So I've added an extra one here. And it says, shows this about the church. It's many parts, which we've said. Everybody is needed. We each have a work to do as part of the church. We belong to each other. We all need each other. And the most important one, I think, is that we all ultimately belong to God. Again, this, this is really the crux of this whole thing, this whole body. We belong to this as a family. Because we belong to God. We all have a role to play. And that role is different for each and every one of us. Paul frames it like, like this. Suppose a foot says, I'm not a hand. And so I'm not part of the body. Wouldn't the foot still belong to the body? Or suppose an ear says, I'm not an eye. So and so I'm not part of the body. Wouldn't the ear still belong to the body? That's been taken from 1 Corinthians 12, 15 to 16. And, and we see, if we look at it there, just because the foot would rather be a hand, that doesn't mean it's not important. Now, I'm, I'm not really a science expert or anything by any stretching by <coughs> but I don't imagine that if I had four hands instead of two hands and two feet, that walking around would be easy. Likewise, if, if I had an ear in the place of an eye, and that three years, yes my hearing might be a bit better but I'd, I wouldn't be able to see properly because if you were to see in the way that our bodies are intended to be seen, to, to see things you have both eyes and see even, that, even I don't know, I was not a science expert now just, just imagine for a second what it would be like if every church was full of if, if there's no church in the world that had nothing but preachers, so if there's only preachers in one church, what would that church be like? Right. So sometimes I, I think about that, and probably sometimes things like, we'd well, probably spend a lot of time arguing and a lot of time debating. But what if a church was nothing but worship is either? We'd mass- we be rabbiting on about chord changes and different keys that we need to sing in. Now I say those two things because those are common, common roles in churches. Not to kind of pick fault of those roles at all. Because the reality is, every role is needed. It doesn't matter what we do, whether it is that we come in and we make teas and coffees, whether we we, we lead songs on the Sunday, whether we lead kids clubs, help serve in the coffee morning. Every role that we do in the church is important and is valued, and it, and quite frankly if the church wouldn't function as it should, if all we had was preachers and all we had was worship leaders. So I wanted to kind of stick that a bit in because that's one of the things I often, I've heard over the years. I've heard friends of mine come up to me and go, do you know what, I, I really wish I could, I could lead worship like, like that guy over there. And unfortunately, they couldn't sing, which was a bit difficult at times. I've people come and go, do you know what, I really would love to, to work, work with kids but they couldn't stand kids you know you see, that kind of, you see that kind of thing in the church all the time but the reality is that every one of us matters everyone is important to God and everyone is key to making the church work and fulfil its mission and that's, that's how God intended it to be in the Mess translation we, we see this in Ephesians 4.25 and it says in Christ's body we're all connected to each other that goes beyond kind of service, but it goes to, to life itself. The fourth metaphor is a flock. Come on. And the, the Bible uses, the, the decides to describe the church as a, as a flock. Now, a flock usually contains two things usually contains a shepherd, and usually <coughs> contains sheep. And in Psalm 103, we see this he made us, we didn't make him we're his people his well tended sheep see the, the shepherd's job <coughs> is to look after the sheep to make sure the sheep are safe that they're protected to make sure they stay together and they don't, don't escape out of the flock or worse yet that they're captured by wolves the, this bit about being captured by, by wolves was significant in the ancient eastern culture as that would quite often happen. Hence the, hence the analogy. What's important to understand is in understand this in western culture today we have to ask ourselves at times what is a, a wolf in our culture? In reflection of the words here in Psalm 100 wolves today could be a variety of things but there is one principle that shows what a wolf is. It is something that attempts to lure us away from the truth of God's word. This could be through cultural expectations. It could be through dodgy theology, claim truth, whatever. But the goal of a wolf is to lure sheep away from the flock and to ravage it. Being part of the flock means two things we have a shepherd, (coughs) and we're not alone. And we're all in this together. Now, I realize I've just quoted an 11-year-old Disney movie, but that's by the by. But this is, this is real life. This is not uh, a musical. And I know as I've just got the you're kind of popping away to the song, We're All In This Together. <laughs> the way I was listening to it earlier on as well. But God has placed in every church two kinds of people, and this is something that we'll see coming out possibly in the study tomorrow night, uh, or when whichever small group you go to. And that is, there are two kinds of people there to look after the flock. There is the leadership. In what Warren's notes, he says, you're a small group, but I would, it's small groups, but I'm going to say it's everybody as a whole. Now this is one of the things I was, wasn't sure whether to keep, keep in or not because of the, the challenges sometimes of, of leadership. Sometimes we do see in the world that uh, leaders in different churches have taken advantage of of people, and that is certainly something that we don't want to see, see here, but our, our role is to, is to pray for, for, for leaders. Now, in terms of, of the leadership, I want to look at briefly your, your pastors and, and leadership teams in a sense. They're called to look after the church, and God has given them a specific calling to prayerfully lead the church in the direction God wants the church to go. And that's a, that's a huge challenge at times. But 1 Peter 5, verse 2 says, says this. I don't know if I've got that one on there. Let's see? No, I don't. Okay. So 1 Peter 5, 2 says to this, and he's saying this to, to, to leaders and churches. Take care of God's flock. His people that you are responsible for. Watch over it because you want to, not because you are forced to. That's how God wants it. Do it because you are happy to serve, not because you want money. Now, he's done different in that time period, but that's, that's the challenge that, that church in Asia faces, which is a, a big challenge. But you know, this whole, whole thing of God choosing people to, to lead the church and to take, take it in the direction God wants it to be, this is why we have, have leadership teams, why we have deaconships, why we have elderships. This is God's predetermined means, and we can see that through, the, through Scripture, through particularly the writings of Paul. It's a predetermined means to ensure that the flock is cared for. But the reality is that it doesn't stop with the, with the leadership team, or it doesn't stop with pastors and elderships and deacons. The church takes each and every one of us to do. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. <coughs> Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly be for your benefit. Your role in how, The role of everybody in how a church is led is to, is to follow in the direction that God is leading the church. Pray for those who have been put into, into leadership support them in the work that they do. Well, again, when we use a passage like this to talk about leadership and kind of for following what leaders say, it isn't a license for those in leadership to take the church for a ride or to manipulate it. Again, we we've, we've often hear stories of that, and no stories of heartbreak to hear. And the role, the role of any church leader is to follow the instruction of God, not their own whims. And if that is happening, then those of these need to be brought, brought to account. But that's a little sidebar on that, just based on things. I've, I've seen it from experience, contacts, that friends that I've got who have experienced that, unfortunately, in their churches. It's not something we, we, want to see. we want to see. Our role as the church as a whole doesn't stop there, in terms of being part of this flock. This is because we're all called to support each other. And this is kind of really getting to the, to the heart of what we we'll want to, to look at tonight. Galatians 6, verse 2 tells us to help each other with, with our troubles. When we do this, we truly obey the law of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5, says, Encourage each other and give each other strength, just as you are doing now. We are all called to be there for each other. So if, you know, if, if you're going through a rough time, you know, talk to us about it. If you struggle with something, tell us. Likewise, if things are going great, tell us that as well. Because at the end of the day, whether life is going well or things are a bit difficult, the whole point of God's church is to be there for each other and to send out his, his mission to, and to reach other people for Jesus. And a big part of that is supporting each other. The final metaphor is a garden. Uh, There's probably no greater bit of scripture in terms of seeing that the church is a garden in John 15. It says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. A garden's a place where, if things are kept properly, they grow. Now, again, I'm not I'm not much of a gardener myself. My 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 grandmother was though, so I, I did get to spend some time in the in the greenhouses from when we lived down at uh, when they lived down at in Silksworth. They had a had a nice, rather nice greenhouse, probably about the size of, of this hole. Um, and my grandmother would go and had, she had a really nice garden with lots of lavender. In there, and she did some gardening. So I, I got to see little bits of stuff. Again, I'm not much of a gardener, but see, in terms of keeping your stuff in your garden healthy, it usually seems to take the right amount of sunlight and the right amount of nutrition. Quite often, that takes place in the form of water. It's, it's no different with the Christian life. Our lives are meant to grow, when we're not meant to stay a seed forever. So the question becomes, how do we grow in our lives of Christ? It's a question I've been asked several times over the years. I've been asked hundreds of times, maybe even thousands of times at this point. But the answer I always give is the same. We grow in our walk with God by spending time with God. We do this through through things such as prayer, through reading his word, the Bible, through going to church, being part of his people. There were moments of growing than that, but those kind of those three key areas, I've always seen as been the kind of the three most notable areas that's easy to relate to somebody else and easy to pass on. We grow by spending time with God and spending time with His people, and that also comes back to the whole bit of supporting each other through the good and through the bad. Now, I kind of want to look at landing the plane, as Mike often says, in this bit. Now, I kind of want to go back to that illustration that I mentioned earlier on. Richie was going to show a video of it. Uh, unfortunately, we aren't able to do that tonight due to um, not having the video with us. But going back to that picture of, of Buzz's foot, where he sees the name Andy on there. When Buzz clicked on that his identity was as a toy was found in his owner, and the fact that his owner wanted him, wanted to play with him, his whole outlook changed. No longer was he down in the dumps because he couldn't actually fly, but he had a new focus, a new passion, a new determination. He understood why he had been bought and why he was Andy's toy. Isaiah 49, which we sort of mentioned earlier on, says this. Is it possible for a mother, however disappointed, however hurt, to forget her nursing child? Can she feel nothing for the baby she carried in birth? Even if she could, I, God, will never forget you. Look here, I have made you a part of me written you on the palms of my hands. Your city walls are always on my mind, always my concern. This amazing thing of being part of the family of God and being part of this this together is that we are always God's concern. God has written all of our names on, on the palms of his hands. God will always love us and care for us and because of that deep, deep love he has for each and every one of us, he calls for us to be part of his family, the church. We all have a, have a place at the table. We all belong. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you right now for just the opportunity to be part of this family, the church. Just thank you, God, that it is you who is the foundation that it is built upon <coughs> and that because of you, because of your, your death and your resurrection, that each and every one of us has a place, that each and every one of us belongs. God, we just thank you and we just ask that as you move forward into the coming weeks and as we go, continue to go through this series, that you will speak to us and that you will lead us in understanding All of these purposes that you have for us. So God, we just thank you. And we are amazed by you. Amen.